I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and 6-1 since that matters and what do I even say other than hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better and dating safer. They've changed. So you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Audio Media presents The Patron Saint of Suicides Created by Alex Dolan Detective Gibson, or Officer Gibson, is one of the officers on the scene, and she questions me, probing into my involvement with Diego Quezada. Lucky me! We sit in that same room at the police station for a couple of hours. Eventually, when Officer Gibson feels like she can't get enough out of me, she lets me go. A cop cruiser even drives me home. I don't leave my apartment for two days. And I have more to drink in the past 48 hours than I've had in the past year. I stock up on vodka, cranberry and grapefruit juice and red vines, and suck a bottomless cocktail through a candy straw, maintaining a constant state of inebriation. I drift in and out of sleep, taking naps here and there, sometimes blacking out. I lose track of time. I feel so irresponsible. Irresponsible doesn't accurately describe it. I have become a menace through my incompetence. I'm a fool for trying to intervene in people's lives. No matter how many times Lynn reminded me I'm not a professional therapist, I didn't take the hint. I never thought someone would get hurt. If someone is about to kill themselves anyway, I rationalize that I couldn't do much more damage. God, what an imbecile I am. 
over the past few days, I have tried to catalog all the people I've met on the bridge, all the people I've counseled by phone, and tried to calculate the potential damage I may have done. How many people have gotten off the phone with me and killed themselves anyway? How many people have I walked off the bridge only for them to jump another night? Here I was, patting myself on the back when I really don't know whether I've done any good at all. I remember the advice that I gave Richard. Play with dogs. I actually told a suicidal man to go play with dogs. Lynn's been calling and texting for the past few days. Most likely she wants to comfort me, but the smallest part of her probably wants to tell me I told you so, and I'll hear it in her voice. For every text that reads along the lines of, are you okay? I feel like the underlying intent is, do you know what you've done? It might be irrational to think like that, but I'm drunk and feeling sorry for myself. Then I blame myself for turning Diego's death into my own tragedy. I want to curl up and disintegrate. Clementa keeps texting me too. What happened with the police? Please call me back, it's important. She leaves a voicemail. In the message, her voice cracks. I don't want her to worry about me, but I'm in no condition to talk to anyone. Sometime on the second day, the postman rings the doorbell, and he only does that when I have a package. I open the door and find a delivery. A flower bouquet dominated by sunflowers. It's signed, I'm here when you're ready. Wesley. I am genuinely touched, but I don't call him. Instead, I drink myself into a blackout. To get out of the house, I finally decide to go to the bridge. I'm not drunk anymore, but I still have a dull headache. I'm technically not on patrol. Since I can't tell if I'm actually helping anyone, I can't go with the expectation that I'll save anyone tonight. Something just draws me out here. Probably just force of habit, the desire to be someplace familiar, and maybe, just maybe, something destructive is pulling me here tonight. Maybe I want to lean on that railing, appreciate how high up I am, and how long a drop it would be to the water. I don't see anyone as I start the long promenade on the sidewalk. I half expect the man in the hoodie to come out of the shadows. Maybe the fog is hiding him. It's thick tonight. I can barely see the traffic rushing by. My face feels chapped, and I rub my cheeks to warm up. Ran about the time I reached the bridge's midpoint. I stop and lean on the railing. I can't see the water tonight. I imagine it. The sensation of dropping through the vapor and wonder if it would be more or less terrifying without seeing the water coming. Then again, I wouldn't have much time for terror. 
It takes someone a little over three seconds to fall and hit the water. Give or take body weight, acceleration, and wind resistance. That's not a lot of time. I breathe in the salty air. It's one of my favorite things about coming here. The purity of this air inside me. Feeling the salt cool me from the inside. I lean on my forearms, appreciating the color of the railing and the gigantic structure around it. I love the color of this thing. The actual color is called International Orange and was chosen to match the clay of the surrounding hills. It was built to fit into the surrounding nature as much as a bridge like this could. I never get tired of this bridge. It might make sense that this would be the last thing I see. My heart beats wildly, sensing that my brain is contemplating something destructive. I stare out into this fog, listening to the passing traffic and the faint undulations of the water 20 stories below me. I sense emotion, and at first I don't pay attention. Another pedestrian approaching, maybe even considering a jump. I can't help them tonight. Then, the movement is different. I can feel the pace, more deliberate, not just moving past me, but moving toward me. I raise my head, and I see the silhouette in a black hoodie. The face is hidden by the hood, and I think that if it's that man, Toro, I met on the stairwell, if he ended up pulling a knife on me, he won't find resistance, nor will he find compliance. But it's not Turo. The man isn't thin enough to be Turo. He stops a few steps away and it dawns on me. Even before I recognize the familiar punch, I recognize the way the man moves. He lowers his hood so I can see his face and I show no surprise. David Cohen is staring at me. He found me. Good for you. Please talk to me. Go away, David. Instead of leaving, he leans on the railing next to me, so we're both facing the water. His beard is more tangled than I remember. His glasses thicker. I'm surprised you can see a damn thing in those. Please go, David. I have nothing to say. I don't deserve this. I can't afford to affirm any of his feelings. What do you want from me? Commiseration? Closure? You need to move on. Do you even know what today is? It's June 5th. I know what day it is. He would have been nine. I know how old he would have been, David. I've never understood this. If anything, I should be angry with you. You left me. Six months later, you were with a new guy, someone who's going to be Milo's new dad. And you cut me out of his birthday. You took him to a basketball game. You took him there, not me. You put him in harm's way. <laughs> you think you would have saved the day if you were on that train? You would have disarmed all of the shooters? And that temper that I knew so well comes out. I would never have been on that fucking train! 
So many people always asked me why I could leave a man as sweet as David Cohen. They never saw this part. They never imagined the temper. He places his hands on my arms and squeezes. I'm reminded of the time he pinned me to my building. I feel the pinches in the same places on my arms. Milo was my son! His spittle sprays in my face. I don't try to fight David. I don't have the will. Instead of fighting against his grip, my hand feels the scar between my ribs where the bullet exited my chest on March 25th, 2015. Feeling that small star of scar tissue through my shirt, I vividly remember the pain from the bullet that created it. Even worse, I remember how my son felt in my arms when the bullet ripped out of me and tore into his small body. How he quaked. David finally lets go of me and turns back to the railing. If I could, I would have traded places with him. You know that. Oh, but I wish he could. So badly. I wish David were dead and Milo were alive. I feel terrible for wanting this, but it's my greatest wish in the universe. Of course, I would give my own life too if it would bring Milo back. But whenever his father has expressed this wish to die in place of our son, and he has done so many times, the thought of David's death elates me. Maybe it's irrational to place the blame squarely on my ex, but I do. I do without hesitation. I hate him so much for the simple fact that he is alive. Everything's gone, David. What do you want from me? We can repair this. People do this all the time. He doesn't say it with love. There's anger in his voice, possession. Do you think there's any chance for forgiveness or reconciliation? You weren't on that train with us because you were never supposed to be. You were not a part of our lives by then. That wasn't my choice! David is throttling the railing. No. It was mine. You were dead to me. Nothing will bring you back now. Certainly not the birthday of my son. My son. Which is the same anniversary as the day he was taken from me. You are dirt. Inhuman. I am not someone who will commiserate. I cannot validate your feelings of loss. I want you to feel pain for as long as you live. I want you to feel the consequences of your actions. I am not your friend, I am not an acquaintance, and I am certainly not your lover. You could have been my wife. We could have been happy. I would have rather died. He slumps over on the railing. Some of the fight has drained out of him. Good. He deserves to feel every drop of my hatred for him. God help you if you come by my home again. If you see me on the street, cross. You are worse than a stranger. You are excrement. I wouldn't step on you because it would dirty my shoe. I don't know whether this will drive him to hurt me, but I don't care. It feels good to destroy someone. David removes his glasses the way he'd done it the one time he slapped my face. I brace for it. I expect to be hit. I almost want it. Something to prove he's as disgusting as I've portrayed him. He looks me up and down, sees how I've balled my hands into fists, 
sees that I'm not going to be pushed around without a fight. And David does something that genuinely surprises me. In a fluid move that hints at an athleticism that I never thought he possessed, David springs off his toes and leaps to the other side of the railing. No! <sighs> Out of surprise, I scream and rush to the railing. David hasn't fallen. He's still holding onto the handrail. Mainly because it's fresh. I think of Diego, just last night. And out of this instinct to preserve life, even if it's David Cohen's life, I reach out for him, and he grabs my hands. <laughs> when his hands encircle my wrists, he pauses for a moment. He smiles at me, still hopeful, still wanting me to reciprocate, to find the love that had been destroyed years ago. I can't give him love, but I pity him. And maybe this is when David realizes that he will never win me again, that he never had a hope of winning me back. His face changes to a look of resignation. I know this look, just not on him. But I know what's going to happen, even if I don't have time to react. With his hands holding onto my wrists, David lets his body fall off the bridge, trying to pull me over with him. Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% back at hundreds of stores, and it's all happening this week, May 6th to May 13th. It's the perfect time to shop for everything on your list for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. I know I'm using this week to stock up on some warmer weather essentials at Ray-Ban and Ulta, and I love that Rakuten even helps me save on travel at sites like Hotels.com. Rakuten really is the best way to shop, and you can save even more by stacking cash back on top of deals. Plus, during Big Give Week, that cash back is bigger than ever. With Rakuten, membership is free, and when you sign up and shop today, you get an extra 10% cash back boost. That's an extra 10% cash back on top of the 15% cash back. You won't see higher cash back rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Blossom surrendered his gun and knife to the staff guarding the entrance to Langley Porter's adult inpatient unit. They patted him down, not because we don't trust you, or so he was told. 
But in case there was anything that could be taken from him and used as a weapon, they took his handcuffs and, for good measure, his keys. Blossom stood outside the heavy door that led to the wing. He'd seen Diego Quezada's body by now. Ballistics would run tests on the man's gun and compare them with the bullets on the train. He suspected they would find a match and thus find their missing sixth shooter. He'd even seen David Cohen's body after they fished him out of the bay. Nothing much to report. He looked broken, sad, and bloated. But he was also worried about Haven. According to reports, Cohen almost pulled her into the water too. Almost, but not quite. The guard buzzed him in, and the door opened to a long, wide corridor where a handful of people milled about on couches. The patients in this psychiatric ward weren't staggering zombies drooling from their medications. Certainly those wards did exist, and he had visited those too, but this was a tamer atmosphere. The patients wore street clothes, minus belts and shoelaces, of course. Blossom passed a woman sitting cross-legged on the floor, combing through a rat's nest of black hair. He smiled at her, and she held the comb out in her palms, as if it were a sacred relic. My mother's a witch. She enchanted my comb. What an incredible gift. Doors on either side of the main hallway led to cramped dorm rooms. He looked to the left and right to see if he could catch a glimpse of Haven in one of them, but they were all empty. A young, fit man with a shaved head read a book on a hallway couch, and when Blossom passed, he gave him a suspicious glance. You, Fuzz? I am. You put someone in here? No, but I'm checking up on her. Have you seen her? She's funny, and she has a unique eye. Haven, she's in the lounge. Jumping off the couch, the man ran down the hallway and beckoned Blossom to follow. This way. At the end of the main hallway, they passed through a threshold to an adjacent room with reflective linoleum floors. The only windows in the suite looked out onto the city of San Francisco, north, all the way across the water to the lush green hills of Marin. If he craned his neck, he could see the Golden Gate Bridge. He found Haven assembling a jigsaw puzzle, spread out over a communal dining table. Haven, you got company. The other patients in the room, playing games or watching television, turned to get a look at Victor Blossom. He waved, and they went back to their business. Haven seemed neither surprised nor happy to see him. Then again, she didn't seem unhappy either. He grabbed an empty chair at the table. Haven, may I sit? Sir. Blossom sat and looked down at the puzzle pieces. When do you get out? Haven kept her focus on her puzzle pieces, sliding them around and trying to match the male and female parts. Well, my dog ordered the 5150 last night, so 72 hours from then. I go home tomorrow night, hopefully. Do you feel like you're ready to go home? Probably. We'll find out. You seem comfortable being here. You've read my record, Detective. I've been on hold before. I've been in this ward before. It's probably for the best. I don't feel like a danger to myself right now, but those bad thoughts creep in when you least expect them. They creep in when you try to go to sleep. Here, I don't worry so much. I don't even sleep. They gave me a roommate with night terrors. Something about her had changed. She seemed resigned to surrendering her independence, compliant with doctor's recommendations. Maybe she was still in shock, 
Or maybe her sedentary demeanor was just a symptom of captivity. Who's taking care of your dog? What was his name? Um, Nick? Linda's feeding him. I'm sorry you had to watch your friend die. Which one? Has anyone else been to visit? Lynn came. I told her not to tell the rest of the group where I am, which means I'm sure they all know. I'm sure they'd understand. I'm sure they would, Detective. But there are only so many people I trust to visit me in a hospital. Paul, for example. He's not one of them. On the other hand, if Len told them and none of them came to visit, well, that would just make me feel like dirt. Well, you'll be out soon enough. Victory. I read the statement you gave, but I have a couple of additional questions. Shoot. Do you think Diego is connected to the new bodies? No idea, Detective. He never said anything about them. I want to show you something. He reached into a suit pocket and pulled out his phone. Haven looked up for the first time, possibly from the allure of seeing a cell phone, something that represented a connection to everything outside this place. I don't want to see any crime scene photos. I can't deal with that right now. It's not a crime scene photo. Blossom swiped through the pictures on his phone until he found the right one and showed his screen to Haven. Do you recognize this person? Haven took the photo and earnestly studied it. Is he one of the train shooters? He says he is. He has some information about the crime that we didn't release to the public. So he was probably there. Did he confess? Yes, but it might not be enough. Can I play you something? She dropped her puzzle pieces and steepled her fingers. I'm all yours, detective. It doesn't happen all the time. We rush in, grab stuff, and leave. It's no big thing. We take a phone, they'll get a new phone. They can afford it. You can afford one phone. You can afford a second. Move on. I don't recognize the voice. No worries, Haven. His name is Turo Torres. That name mean anything to you? Afraid not. The problem with that is we need something to corroborate his statement. We have no witnesses who can place him. Since he was wearing a mask, we don't have footage to place him at the scene. He's reluctant to dime on the other robbers because he's afraid of them coming after him. It wouldn't take much of a defense attorney to unravel the case. Even with his confession? That's why we can't arrest every person who makes a crank call to 911. I'm worried that without something to back this up, we'll have no real reason to keep him. Haven looked down at her puzzle and picked up another piece. Then don't. Don't you want these men to see justice? I don't even know what case you're working on at this point. Sometimes it feels like you're trying to solve the 2017 crimes. Sometimes it feels like you're trying to solve the ones from 2015. You've got two different sets of victims. Pick a side. I'm trying to discover the truth. Detective, I don't have the energy to care. If that means you have to let this man go, then so be it. For the past two years, I've been trying to do everything I can to stop thinking about March 25th every minute. I'll tell you, it hasn't worked so far. 
I think I might actually be going crazy. Do you think it will help me to have to relive it all through some kind of lengthy trial? I don't want any of that. I just want to stop thinking about March 25th. I want to stop being so... It was hard for her to say the last word. And when she did, she spat it out like a toxin. Afraid. I can respect that. But understand, if you want something to stop scaring you, you can't avoid it. You have to confront it. Thanks for the advice, detective. Come back when you've lost your child. Every five minutes, a transplant candidate dies while waiting for a compatible heart, liver, or kidney. Imagine a technology that could provide those life-saving transplant organs for a high price, and imagine what a company would do to monopolize that technology. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists unlocks this holy grail of medicine by reverse engineering the genomes of all mammals, creating an animal with organs perfectly suitable for human transplantation. They envisioned a docile herd animal, but one team member had another, darker vision. This ancestor is anything but docile. The team's work spawns something big, something evil, something very, very hungry. Ancestor is a complete serialized fiction podcast by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler with all episodes available. Binge the entire story now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. 